All right. Well, good morning, church. Everybody doing good? Man, it's a beautiful weekend, isn't it? Man, there's uh, trees blooming, pollens in the air, all in our nose. It's everywhere. Man, I don't know about you, but we've been battling allergies. And uh, this past weekend, uh, or yesterday, Lori, uh, we, we just had a lot of cleaning to do at the house. And uh, so we did a ton of cleaning yesterday. And so we started about 10 o'clock in the morning. We finished about 10.30 last night. And just one of those long days of, of doing that. And it's just like pollen was everywhere. But we had a group of ladies that were meeting here. We had about 100 ladies that were here literally learning uh, from God's Word, worshiping together, and we had an incredible event. It was the Embrace Conference, and if you were able to be a part of that, hopefully God spoke to you and ministered to you during that time. We also had some cool guys that came up and kind of took care of the meal and did some things. So thank you all for, uh, for serving and just uh, making a difference, and thank you for being here and just sitting under the teaching of God's Word. It makes all the difference in the world, I promise you. If you're joining us online, man, we're so glad you're a part of the service. And you guys that got up and made it here today, man, thank you all for being here. But let's dig into the uh, second part of Found. This is a, a a great series, and I love the fact that this is the heart of God, I feel like. And, and so here we're talking about the parables that we see in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 is really, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of the heart of that gospel. It's like, hey, this is what God really wants us to understand. Last week we talked about uh, the parable of the lost uh, sheep, but today we're talking about the parable of the lost coin. And so whenever you look back at this, you realize, you know, last week we talked about the, the lost sheep. And you know, we talked about how, you know, oftentimes we can kind of relate to that when it comes to an animal, our fur babies or our pets or whatever. You know, you start thinking about how much you love them or whatever and how dear they are to you. Whenever if they get lost and you find them, it's a big deal. And so Jesus was teaching and he, he's got this, uh, this trilogy here that we see. This parable is a member of a trilogy on redemption taught by Jesus. And so this is Jesus teaching. And it's like I said, this is this is God's heart right here. I mean, this is God making it very clear what the mission is about, why Jesus is here. And so in this trilogy, he's talking about the sheep. He's connected with people. He's taught with them. They related to that. A lot of people are like, they understood what it was to have a sheep. They can wander off. We, like sheep, have gone astray is what Scripture says. And so it was one of those teachings where people could relate to it. They could understand and so Jesus is making it very clear, hey, this, this is something that we all need to kind of think about. This is what God's plan is. This is what the kingdom of God is about. And so he's teaching this. Everybody's leaning in there. And remember, there were all kinds of people there, even people that some of the people didn't like being there. And so in the parable of the lost sheep, we see right here it says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus. So I want us to kind of review and kind of catch a little bit of what we did last week, kind of setting up where we step into the coin today. And so here, you know, it says that there was tax collectors and other notorious sinners showing up to hear this message that Jesus has. And why would they do that? Why would, why would people who are known sinners who are notorious, they're known for living, you know, against God's word and living against the law. Why would they be drawn to this guy? Because Jesus had a message of hope. And here's the thing. He was here for them. He was here for the lost. He was here for those that were on the outside looking in. And so he's there for them. So they're there to listen to him. But this made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. And, and so this bothered some of the people because, remember, that culture that they were in was a shame, honor type driven deal. It was a, in other words, you didn't want to, you wouldn't want to bring shame on yourself. It was always about honoring yourself. And not shaming yourself or your family. 
And what Jesus would do, Jesus would come along and he would literally turn it upside down. He said, it's not about honoring you. It's about honoring God and it's about honoring others. It's not about you. It's about you dying to self. And so it's kind of rocking everybody's world. They're hearing this and they're going, wait, wait a minute. I thought it was about me and me being honored and honoring me and not bringing shame. And so what Jesus is telling them, hey, listen, you've all blown it. We've all messed up. And so he's, he's, he's kind of turning everything upside down on these people. And they're kind of wigging out about this. So he's using this teaching to, to kind of bring things to the, to the forefront to where they go, all right, I, I'm, I'm beginning to get your message, Jesus. I'm beginning to understand this. And, and so let's, let's keep driving. So Jesus tells these stories. He says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? He's going to go look for it, right? If that sheep's lost, he's going to go try to see if he can't find it. So won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? Sure he will. And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. He'll joyfully carry it home. In other words, he finds the sheep. You know, he, he picks it up. He literally puts it over his shoulders and takes it home. He's rejoicing. You know, we think, you know, man, we want God to tote us like this. We're big babies sometimes, you know. But, you know, maybe it was a little lamb. Maybe he did tote it like that. Most likely, and it says here that he put it on his shoulders and takes it home. And so... When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. He's going, guys, I found him. I've got him. He's here. And and, and so the shepherd has found him. He's rejoicing. In the same way, this is what we need to catch. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. In other words, God is saying, hey, this is my heart. Is going after these notorious sinners. Is going after the lost. Is going after them with everything that I've got. And said, so, man, I love that. So we, t- we covered this last week. To repent in relation to salvation is to change your mind regarding sin and regarding and, and Jesus Christ. And so, in other words, we, we come to a point of repentance. There has to be repentance for us to truly be saved. There has to be brokenness over our sin. There has to be a, a grieving over our sin. And, and so, what God is saying, hey, listen... You've got to be willing to look at sin the way that I look at sin is what he's saying. And so instead of us justifying sin, in other words, we're saying, well, I'm not as bad as he is, or I'm not as bad as she is, or or beginning to justify what we do. Hey, well, this is the reason I did. But we see it as sin that grieves the heart of God, and we're bothered by it. Even conviction. We feel conviction over something. We tell a lie. It's not just a little white lie. It's what? It's a lie, and it grieves the heart of God. We're not just envious of what someone else has. We're envious to the point of sin, which grieves the heart of God. We're not just jealous about what someone else has got, you know, and it's like, hey, everybody else is that way. It is sin and it grieves the heart of God. So we change the way we think about sin and it bothers us. And if anything, there's conviction and we want to be different. We want to we want to live in a way that honors God, that glorifies God. And so we, we change the way we think about Jesus as well. It's not just some guy that died on a cross. It's not some guy that established a religion. It's not some, you know, famous teacher that was a, a good religious teacher. He wasn't just a good guy. But man, he was the son of God. It was God who literally came and took on human form and would literally walk among us and live out his life in perfection without any sin whatsoever. But yet he would know every temptation that we would know. And so we would change the way that we think about Christ. And so when we repent... We see sin for what it is, and we see Jesus for who he is, and we realize we need him. We need a Savior. And so, look at this. This is the parable of the lost coin. 
So stepping into that, as we talk about this, Jesus has gone from talking about the animal, everybody, you know, all the warm fuzzy, then all of a sudden he starts talking about coins, talking about money. People act funny when you talk about money, don't you? You know, and so I tell people that all the time. You know, you invite somebody to church and it's like, Dad, the pastor's talking about money. You're, you become uncomfortable. You're like, well, normally pastor doesn't always teach about money or whatever, you know. But And really, I do. I talk about it all the time because anything that gets in the way of God, we need to speak on, right? But we, we act funny when people talk about money. I was, I was sharing earlier, one of the guys in the back back there lost his wallet. He was up here building a ramp for, out there for, for uh, the church. And uh, for the golf cart that we use in the, in the uh, parking lot to help people get to the door. And so uh, he was building. Well, he lost his wallet between here and Lowe's somewhere. So if y'all find it, let me know. I know who it belongs to. And so he lost his wallet. And, and, and so we were joking about it a little bit. But it's, it's serious, right? Because when you start talking about people's money, it gets real. And so Jesus goes from talking about this lamb. And they're like, oh, yeah, I get the lamb. And yeah, man, that's awesome. And he said, he lost the coin. They're like, wait a minute. He's talking about money now. All of a sudden, this is getting serious. Jesus has gone to meddling. You know what I'm saying? And so, so the parable of the lost coin. So in verse 8 here, it says, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? So what Jesus is saying, hey, listen. Imagine this lady has ten coins. It's all she's got. You know, and there's some that would say, you know, back in that day, it was a tradition that there would be women that would have a, a band that would go around their head, it would have ten coins on it. It was kind of like their dowry. And so whenever they were getting married, you know, that was one of the coins. And, and that one coin may represent a day's wages. So it was a lot of money. And so she lost one. And so this is important. Everybody realized, hey, man, that coin, you know, that's a day's wages. That matters. You know, losing that kind of money, that's a big deal. So she kind of goes to drastic measures. She says, won't she light a lamp, you know, start using even some of the resources she has to try to find this coin and sweep the entire house. I mean, she gets down, she starts sweeping and she's going everywhere. You know, she's looking for this, this, this coin. You, you know, yesterday, like I said, Laurie and I, we, we were working, cleaning, we were sweeping, we were doing everything, you know, just getting everything done. And so it's one of those things where you get down and you're, 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 you're seeing dirt you've never seen before. You're like, hey, let me get that. And you're cleaning up. So she's looking everywhere for this coin and she's searching until she finds it. It's not like, well, I gave it a good shot, you know, because if, if, if it really doesn't matter to you, you'll say, well, yeah, I don't know where it's at. No big deal. But if it really matters to you, you're going to go until you find it. Right. And so it mattered to her. And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. I found it. In the same way, there's joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. When one sinner repents, whenever we turn to God, man, I love that. And so Jesus said, hey, listen, when the lamb is found, man, there's a, there's a party. And here, talking about the, the coin, it says in the same way there's joy in the presence of God's angels. In other words, heaven is rejoicing when one puts their faith in Christ for salvation. And so let's kind of unpack that a little bit. The woman searches with all of her might. I mean, she put everything she had into it. She was looking, you know, all of her resources, everything to try to find this. It was important to her. So she's searching, she's searching, she's searching for it. She wants to find this because this, this matters to her. It reminded me of, a, of a, something that happened in mine and Laurie's life. You know, we were, uh, had been married 10 years and we were going to do something special for our 10-year anniversary. And I don't know if you guys do stuff, you know, to kind of mark moments. But I believe that marking a moment is a big deal. Now, I don't believe it has to be everything. I mean, like if your kid, you know, goes to on the potty, I'm not saying you have to mark that moment, you know, or a kid graduates from, you know, from kindergarten. I mean, I don't know. But anyway, it can kind of get overboard. 
You know, I think there's a day for everything now, it seems like. But, but still, there are days that we mark. And we mark that moment. Like for me, I, you know, the day that I got saved, the day that I was baptized, the day that we're born. And so for Laurie and I, we were, we were married on August 15th, 1992. And so we, we want to celebrate that day. It's our anniversary. And so, so for our 10-year anniversary, we were trying to plan something nice to do. And anyway, we ended up having a baby. We had Christian who's upstairs doing the switcher right now. And so we had a, a baby. So for our 11th anniversary, we went on a trip down to Destin. And I bought Lori a ring, a diamond ring, uh, because uh, she couldn't hardly see the engagement ring I gave her. So I, gave, I got her a diamond ring, and it had three diamonds in it. And it represented past, present, and future. And so the past, you know, and we used to celebrate, you know, what God had done in, in the past in our lives. And, and then we were, you know, the past, the present, we were celebrating what God was doing at that moment. We had 11 years of marriage and, you know, we were as in love as we'd ever been. And we were also celebrating the future. We knew that God had things in store. We had three beautiful boys, man, and we were, had the, the privilege of raising them. So we were celebrating that. And so I gave her that ring. And then one day we had, you know, we knew one day that we were going to be planting a church. We just didn't know where at that point. But anyway, God led us here to plant Journey Church. And so we had been married and living here for a while. And Laurie called me one day and she said, hey, listen, I lost uh, the diamond out of my ring. I said, what, what ring? She goes, the one that you gave me on our 11th anniversary. I said, all right, we'll look for it. So when I got home, we started looking for it. And the boys, all of us, we're all searching for it, can't find it. And, uh, and anyway, so a few weeks have gone by and we haven't been able to find that. And so she's kind of heartbroken over it. And I was like, well, we'll get another diamond, no big deal. And Anyway, uh, so, but it, it meant something to her. Cause even when I gave it to her, she said, you know, this represents a lot of things to me. She said, you know, we got three boys. So that's Hunter, Zach, and Christian. You know, uh, she goes, I think about the Trinity, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. She said, so this means a lot to me. And so anyway, so she'd lost this diamond and she, and one day she's back and we got an old Kirby that has a light on the front of it. And anyway, so she's back and, and that light hit that diamond and it just kind of boom, just kind of lit up. And she was like, no way. And she got over there, she goes, and it was the diamond out of a ring. So she called me to rejoice. She called me to celebrate. Hey, man, we've been looking for this thing. She goes, you're not going to believe this. The, the, the vacuum cleaner lit it up. And uh, so we took it, and we took it to a jeweler and had it put back in there. And, and, and so it was something that was important to her. So she was searching. She wanted us to search. She was gathering people together. The woman is searching with all her, her might. The woman takes drastic measures to find the valuable coin. The, the lady went out of her way. She's sweeping. She's using her resources. She's doing everything she can to find this coin because it matters. It matters. And that's what Jesus is trying to convey to the people here. Hey, the heart of God is that people matter. The heart of God is, you know, you matter. I had a guy call me yesterday and we were talking and he's been through a tough season and he was telling me where he'd been for the last couple of years. And, and anyway, we were sharing. He said, you know, God's just kind of been putting things together. I said, man, it's because he loves you. He cares about you. And God does love us, man. He cares about us. And that's what Jesus is trying to convey to these religious people. Listen, God loves you. He cares about you. He wants a relationship with you. And, and, and so we've got to be willing to say, you know what, God, help me to see it the way that you see it. And so here's the woman celebrates when the lost coin is found. Man, she celebrates. It's a big deal. You know, Laurie called me to celebrate whenever, you know, she found that coin. That was a big deal. I mean, found that diamond. That was a big deal. She wanted me to know, hey, I've got it. And so I'm like, man, I ain't got to buy another one, you know. So I was celebrating. And it was a good deal. And so, like this past Wednesday night, we had some, a couple of students who put their faith in Christ. And we got an incredible youth pastor. Pastor Tony Mess does an incredible job. 
But he posted that on Facebook and everywhere else that he does social media. I don't do all the social media they do. But anyway, so he posted that on there. And he's celebrating two kids that have gone from death unto life, right? That's a big deal. And so, yeah, clap, clap it up. Y'all clap it up. But they deserve to be celebrated. Because here's that, that little clap right there that we just did is nothing compared to what heaven does. Heaven's throwing a party when those kids are redeemed, if one repents. And so I think back to last Sunday in here, we had a couple of people that put their faith in Christ for salvation. All of heaven is rejoicing. And, and, and if we represent Christ, man, we ought to get excited when someone gets saved. It ought to move us. It ought to stir us. We ought to go, you know, rejoice, man, just worship like never before because we know, you know what? They went from death unto life. It's a big deal. So look at this next part here. All of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents and is found. Don't miss that. And if we represent Christ, if we're his ambassadors, man, we ought to be concerned about where people are in their walk with God. I had someone text me after the first service this morning and say, hey, listen, man, I, you know, I've been baptized twice, but I'm still not sure about my salvation. I don't think I've ever relinquished my life to God. And so my prayer for him today is that he will know where he stands with God. And he won't just do religious things, but he'll have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ by faith. That's the only way we get there. It's the only way it happens. And so we've got to, we've got to make sure that we know where we are. So what does it mean to be lost? If you're going to be found, you've got to be lost, right? And I think a lot of times we struggle with this terminology and we go, yeah, that's kind of a, that's kind of an old mentality. You know, uh, what does that mean, Mike, to be lost? You know, I think most of us, when we think about lost, we're wondering. We don't know our way. We, we, we've lost. We don't, we can't find our way out of something or we can't find our way back to something. And so what does it mean to be lost? So let's unpack this a little bit. Jesus said in Luke 19, 10, a little bit later in the same uh, book we're in, the same gospel. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So Jesus knows what lost is, right? It's his mission. So Jesus knows what lost is. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to seek and to save us. And so at times, you know, we, we, we've got to get our mind around, how you, why did Jesus come? What is the heart of it? It's right here in Luke chapter 15. Jesus came that we might be found, that we might be saved, that we might be redeemed. We were all in need of a Savior. So Jesus made it very clear. That's why he came. Jesus came to redeem that which was lost because of sin. See, if you go back in, into, the, into the Bible, man, we go back and we look in, into the Scriptures, the text there. We see in Genesis, at the very beginning, that, man, that Adam and Eve, they walked with God in the cool of the day. They spent time with Him. They had a relationship with Him. I mean, they, they walked, you know, with Him and would talk. And, and, and it was incredible. But sin came in the serpent tempts eve she takes to the fruit and she shares it with her husband who wasn't the spiritual leader he should have been he wasn't there protecting his wife and we see that you know what that that sin enters in and all of a sudden there's this strain there's this riff that has taken place and, and so we all because we have uh, the adam's blood in our veins we are born sinners we are we're born lost we're born in need of a savior every one of us we've all fallen short of god's glorious standard and so we've missed it and so when we look back and we realize, you know, the man's sin caused us to do things that you would never think of doing. We get tempted. We get pulled into that. You know, you, you think, if I was Eve, I wouldn't have been there. Well, you might have done something different. You know, I think about, you know, we're, this, these are parables that we're teaching here. And that Jesus is teaching. Jesus is using these parables to illustrate things and to tell stories. And there's another parable that's used in the Old Testament 
Uh, it's, it's kind of the same kind of teaching. And, uh, and there's a guy named King David. Many of you guys remember King David. King David had everything. He had, he had conquered. He was an incredible leader there in Israel. The Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. You think, man, what a righteous guy. But one time, you know, in the spring, whenever the kings were supposed to be off at war, King David was at home on his palace roof. And he sees this lady come in to bathe. And he peeps and he watches her. And uh, anyway, he likes what he sees. So he asks a servant to go and get her and bring her up. And he ends up having relations with her, has sex with her, you know, and ends up getting her pregnant. He finds out she's pregnant. So he calls for her husband to come back, who's out fighting his battles for him, to come home and sleep with his wife. So hopefully he'll think it's his kid. And so he ends up, you know, sleeping on the doorstep because he doesn't feel worthy to sleep with his wife whenever his men are out fighting on a battlefield and sleeping probably in the worst of conditions. He said, I can't go home and just sleep with my wife. And so David, like, man, it didn't work out. So David has him go back out, has him put on the hottest part of the, the firefight, if you will. And then he has the rest of the army draw back so that he loses his life. And then David's going to be this nice guy and bring his wife into his home. And he's going to just take care of her and hope that nobody knows anything. So God has to send someone to tell a story to David. And the funny thing is he used a sheep. So Nathan goes to David and he says, hey, listen, he goes, King, there's this, there's this uh, family, poor family. They didn't have much. All they had was this little lamb. And they raised that lamb like it was part of the family. And it was a special lamb. They treated it like family. They took care of it. But this rich guy ended up having a party. He had a bunch of family coming in. And he ended up taking that lamb and killing that lamb and using that lamb and serving that lamb. And David became furious. And he tells Nathan, he says, surely this man must die. Nathan says, you're the man. And David, thank God, is broken over his sin. It's been revealed. God knew. Nathan knew. And Nathan called him out. And so I thought, you know, how, how strange, you know, God would use that story about a lamb to call out David. And I'm just telling you, God's using the story of a lamb and a coin to tell you and I he's speaking to us. See, Nathan was saying, hey, David, you're the one. You're the man. You're the one that's got the issue. You're the one that has sinned. And so what God is doing is he's telling the story, you know, of the lamb and the coin and the son to say, hey, listen, guys, I'm talking to you. I'm speaking to you about the sin in your life and about the brokenness that there needs to be over that sin. Not justifying it, not seeing how close you can get to it, but to be broken over that. And so we go back and again, in the beginning of in the garden, we see that man walked with God. Adam and Eve literally spent time in conversation with the God of the universe. So we were created to have fellowship with him. If we go back to the beginning, we were created to have fellowship with God. But sin crept in. And all of us, because again, because of the sin that is in us, we're born sinners. Nobody has to teach us to do wrong. But we have to be redeemed. We have to be saved. And so we were created to have fellowship with him. So when was the last time that maybe you had great fellowship with God? Maybe it was today, this morning, or, you know, yesterday. But, you, you know, you had that fellowship. But the thing is, is do you have a relationship with him? Not that you know about him, not that you've heard about him, but that you know him, that you have a relationship with him. Here's the other one. We were made to worship him. Man, there's nothing like a powerful worship experience. Maybe for you guys today it was here in the service. Maybe for the ladies it was yesterday at the Embrace Conference. Maybe it was this week. Maybe it could be anywhere. But, you know, we were created. We were made to worship him. And, and what happens is too often we worship other things. We worship little idols. 
Like football and baseball and basketball and soccer and this and that. Cheer and dance. You could just go on and on. We worship those things. We worship our kids. But when was the last time you had a really moving worship experience with the God of the universe? That I mean, that you were just blown away by His glory and you just could not get enough of being in His presence. And too often what we do is we worship. We can even worship church. We can worship religion. Anything can get in the way. But we were made to worship Him and Him alone. To be saved. Let's, let's kind of unpack that for a second. To be saved is to know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And, and so... I know in this day and age, a lot of times what we, we, we want to hear is we want to hear, hey, I want to hear a positive message. This is positive. God loved you enough. He sent his son to die for you. You know, and, but oftentimes we're like, well, we want it to be too heavy. You know, we want it to be, you know, positive and encouraging. This is encouraging. Jesus went to the cross for you and for me. Man, Jesus offered hope to the sinners. And who's the sinners? All of us are, right? We've all messed up. We've all blown it. There's hope for the world. We all think some politician's going to change it. It's not. It's going to be Jesus changing hearts. When God changes hearts, He changes minds. You see, like we go back to repentance. Whenever we repent, we change the way we think, the way about sin, and change the way we think about Jesus. And so, whenever we change those things, whenever God changes those things, changes us from the inside out. So, when we look back at this, so to be saved is to know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. So, it's to know Him as Lord. Lord means He's first, not that He's somewhere in the list, not that you kind of you know, got Him in a, in a favorable position, but He is in first place. So, before you take that job, you go to Him first. So before you ask that person out, you go to him first. And you're saying, God, I want to know your will, your plan for my life. You are my Lord. What you say goes. And God, if you tell me to go witness that person, I'm going. God, if you tell me to give that money, I'm giving it. So God, I trust you. You are Lord of my life. And then Savior, we realize, you know what, that I am, I am, I am in debt. I have a sin debt. And God, I realize that Nothing I do, not anything I do is going to be enough to earn my salvation. So, Jesus, I'm putting my faith in you, and I, I believe that you are who you say you are. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you're the way, the truth, and the life. With everything I've got, I put it in you, and so, therefore, we are saved. So, he becomes our Lord and Savior. To have, is to have a relationship with God through Christ is the only way. Most exclusive statement ever made. Jesus made it. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. And there's some people say, well, that's not fair. It's not about fair. It's about justice. It's about God's righteousness. And so let's look at this next one. Pretty simple. It's just the opposite of that. To be lost is to not have a personal relationship with God. So you can be religious and be lost. You can, you can go to church all the time and be lost. You can do all kinds of things. You can do all kinds of journeys and everything else. You can go on all kinds of trips and be lost. And so to be saved is to have that relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. It says to have no assurance of salvation and no personal relationship with God. That's what it means to be lost. So we know what it means to be saved now. And so there's two categories. You're either saved or either you're lost. There's kind of no in between. I can remember at one time in my life going, you know, I'm not sure where I stand. So I'm just going to hang out here in the middle. There's no middle. You're either lost or saved. Saved or lost. One of the two. It's not a gray area. It's not a, hey, well, I'm just kind of in holding pattern right now, Mike. I'm just going to wait a little while. You're either saved or you're lost. You know, it's one of the two. It's not, it's not any, anywhere in between. So to be saved means heaven when you die, and to be lost means hell when you die. God's pretty clear. And this is what I love. God makes the gospel simple. That a child can put his faith in Christ. 
Teenagers, last Wednesday night, put their faith in Christ for salvation. They don't know everything in the Bible, but they know Jesus now, right? And they know God who saved them and has redeemed them. And their name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life only because of faith in Christ, not because of anything they've done. But it's the gift that they have received. And then it says to be lost means hell. That means separation from God, spiritual death, separation from God for eternity. And there's nobody that would ever want anybody, even your worst enemy, to go to hell. Jesus talked more about hell than he talked about heaven. Because he didn't want anybody to go there. And the Bible even says God's desires that all would be saved. All would repent. God saved you by his grace. We don't deserve it. When you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift, a gift from God. It's a gift. I remember one time I had an uncle. Oh, he's, he's still my uncle. But I remember one time we were at a family get-together. His name was Big Jim. And I was sharing with Big Jim because whenever I got saved, man, I wanted to see people that I loved come to know Christ and know and to know them. And so I was sharing with my uncle there. And I said, Big Jim, I said, is there any reason you wouldn't give your life to Christ right now? And he goes, well, there's a couple things I want to I want to fix. And I said, well, you, you can't fix anything. He said, well, I want to quit smoking. And then he said, I, I want to start reading my Bible more. And I want to go back to church. And I was like, well, Big Jim, if you're able to do all that, then Jesus died for no reason. And he, he goes... Yeah, but I just want to get those things done. But I'm just telling you, that's what we do. We go, well, I'm going to fix this, and I'm going to do more of this, and I'm going to give this. And I'm, and we start trying to go, well, if I could earn my way there. And what God is saying, what Jesus is saying here, guys, you can't earn your way there. The sheep is lost. He needed a shepherd to come get it. The coin is lost. It needed somebody to come find it, right? And so we were lost, and we needed a Savior and so God saved you by His grace when you believe, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Look at this next verse. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. It's not anything I've done. It's what I've received. Look at this. The, this lost coin parable gives us a picture of a person in a lost condition. This coin is helpless unless someone else intervenes on its behalf. And you know who intervened? God intervened. We were all lost. We were all lost. And God intervenes. God offers us a way. I love this right here. Jesus took drastic measures to redeem us. The woman took drastic measures to find the coin. Jesus took drastic measures to redeem us. You ever think about what he did? I mean, we're getting close to Easter, right? You ever think about, you know, I know Easter, we celebrate the resurrection. It's an empty tomb. I get that. But, man, I like to think about Good Friday as well. Me and him going to the cross. I think about his teaching. I think about him healing. I think about him, you know, helping people, feeding people. I think about all that he did. But, you know, as he's getting to that cross, he knows his time has come. He knows he's moving to the cross. He doesn't avoid it. He doesn't run away. They come and get him. They take him. They begin to beat him. They abuse him. Take him through mock trials. Man, he stays silent like a lamb before his shears. So he's focused on the cross. He's focused on the, on, on the mission that he came for us to redeem that which was lost, right? So he's focused. Nothing's going to deter that. He's headed to the cross. He knows that. But he also knows the power of the resurrection. And so when I, I think about that, you know, he gave his life on the cross. And so when I get my mind around, Jesus went to drastic measures to redeem you and I. He went to drastic measures. He took a beating. 
His back is ripped to shreds. You know, he, he's torn apart. He's punched. He's blindfolded. Man, and, and he's going through all this to go to the cross. He's going to have nails run through his hands. Nails run through his feet. He's going to breathe his last breath. He's pretty much going to suffocate. From He got to the point where he couldn't lift his body up on the, on the flesh that was nailed there. He couldn't lift his body up and breathe anymore. And if he kept breathing, they would come in and break his leg so that he couldn't lift himself up to breathe anymore. That's drastic measures to save you and me. He shed his precious blood. You think about the... You know, I don't know if you ever watched The Passion of the Christ, but... I try not to watch it too much because I don't want it to become too... I don't want to become jaded to it. I want it to bother me when I watch it. But whenever you see them just tearing his back apart, man, you're going, that's, that's his precious blood. They press that crown of thorns down on his head. That's his precious blood that he's pouring out for you and for me and for our sins. And so whenever you see that being pushed down on him, you realize that was for me. That's for my salvation. It's for my sin. It ought to bother us. It ought to move us. You know, I, I don't know about you, but man, I hope I never get to the point that it doesn't bother me when I sin. I want conviction. I want to be bothered by that. I want there to be godly sorrow in my life that leads to salvation. There ought to be godly sorrow over our sin. And so his precious blood is being poured out. He's nailed to that cross. He's hanging there on that cross between heaven and hell on your behalf and on my behalf. And as he's breathing his last, he's saying, Father, it's finished. And we know that, you know, he, he, he's taken down off that. He's laid in a borrowed tomb. And in just a couple of days, three days, he is resurrected by the power of God. And this is what I love. He defeated hell, he defeated death, and he defeated the grave to save you and to save me. He is my Savior. Woo! Ben, I don't know about you, but I can't, I can't, I can't get over that. I hope he's yours. I mean, I hope he's yours. If you're watching online, I hope he's your Savior. I hope he's not just a religious person to you, but he is your Savior. That man, you, you, you're indebted to him. You want to honor him. You want to glorify him in every possible way. And so maybe here's some things that you could do today. To see, see sin as God sees it, that it bothers you. We don't justify it. We don't see how close we can get to it. But we're, we're moved to say, God, I want to confess it. I had someone come to me just a little while ago and said, man, I want to confess something to you. I'm not a priest. They don't have to come to me. But he said, I just want to share with you something that, that's happened in my life. I got, I got to put my arm around him and pray over him and say, listen, man, God forgives you. But thank God that you feel conviction over that. So maybe you ask God, help me to see sin as you see it. Here's another one. To see clearly the true condition of my relationship with God. To know, hey, am I saved or not? I don't want to just be religious. Religious people, they bust hell wide open. God, I want to know that I'm saved and I want it to show in my life here and now. And I want to live in such a way that people around me know, you know what, man, Jesus is in that guy. Jesus is in that lady. And we want to know that. So we need to say, God, I want to clearly see where I stand with you. Here's the last one. To put my faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. If you've never been saved, let today be the day of salvation for you. If you're watching online, let today be the day of salvation for you. Not one day. Not I'm going to put it off. There's no holding pattern. You're either in or you're out. You're either saved or you're lost. There's no getting around that. But Jesus came to redeem that which was lost. I want to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes. 
And I'm asking God to show you the condition of your heart. God, show every one of us the condition of our heart. Father, break us over our sin. God, for something that we need to confess to you right now, God, reveal it. Lord, I pray for somebody here that has never put their faith in you. I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. Maybe you're watching online. You've never put your faith in Christ. You might be thinking, Mike, I want to be saved. I want to know that my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Then here's what you do. You say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I confess that to you. I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to save me. I want to quit living the way I've been living. That's repentance. I want to stop seeing sin the way I see it. I don't want to see it the way you see it. God, I want to, I want to see Jesus for who He is, the Savior of the world. So God, change me from the inside out. And I promise you, He will. So just say, with Jesus, with all the faith that I have, I ask you to come and live within me. To save me. And I choose to surrender to you as the Lord of my life. If you just prayed that prayer, the Bible says you will be saved. And my prayer is you never get over it. You never get over it. If you just prayed that prayer in this room, if you would just raise your hand and say, Mike, I just prayed that prayer to receive Christ. Anybody in here, just raise your hand. Say, I'm unashamed. I want everybody to know Christ lives in me. Anybody. I see your hand right here. I see your hand right here. Let me just tell you, we we rejoice with you. But heaven rejoices at your decision to receive Christ. We rejoice. If if you just made that, you prayed that prayer online, man, we want to know. We want to walk with you. We want to put a Bible in your hand. We want to walk with you. Man, thank God for salvation. Thank God that we have a God who loves us and cares about us and cares about the details of our life. He wants to change us and transform us from the inside out. It's only by faith in Christ and allowing Him to lead and to rule in our life. Father, I thank You for meeting with us today. Father, I do. I get excited thinking about Easter. The power of the resurrection. God, but I think about the lost people that need to hear the message of the, of the resurrection. God, that need to hear the message of the gospel. And Father, I know that You have empowered us as Your church to go out and to be Your witness. Father, I pray that as we go this week, God, we, we would pray for opportunities to share the good news. Lord, we would be Jesus with skin on as we serve the people around us. And it would be about honoring you and honoring them, dying to self. God, use us as the church this week and as your vessels for your purposes and for your kingdom. So, Father, I pray that as we move towards Easter weekend, that you would begin to do something in us as a church, God, that we can't get over. And, God, I pray that as we celebrate our salvation that was purchased by such a high price, God, that we would worship in truth and in spirit. It doesn't have to be here to service. God, it can be wherever we are. We realize how blessed we are. And God, we celebrate that. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being such an incredible, loving God. In Jesus' name.